where actuaries add really probably most value is the ones where you tend to have long-term recipients. So the NDIS, a large proportion of our participants, as I mentioned, will be with the scheme for life. And so taking that sort of lifetime view and the long, the longitudinal view of our participants is where I think actuaries really can make a difference because of the, the skills that we bring. I am an actuary. I am an actuary. I am an actuary. Welcome to the We Are Actuaries podcast, where you'll meet leaders who use their actuarial powers to solve a range of problems and make a real difference. I am your host, Julia Lessing, and I'm a qualified actuary based in Australia. I help senior leaders use data to solve complex people-oriented problems. So settle in, learn from the best, and be inspired. Hi, everyone. Today we're talking about the role of actuaries making a difference in government social services. And joining us for this conversation today is David Gifford. Hi, David. Hi, Julia. Joining us from your car today. So David, for those of you who don't know, is the scheme actuary for the NDIS. David's an experienced actuary, having worked for nearly 30 years across social insurance, general insurance and government in both consulting and organisational roles. He was previously the Chief Strategy Officer and the Chief Risk Officer at the TAC and held consulting roles for more than 15 years at both PwC and Quantium. David has a Bachelor of Economics and an MBA from Melbourne Business School and is currently undertaking a Master of Public Health at Melbourne Uni. So, David, thanks so much for joining us today for this conversation. Thank you again for having me, Julia. (laughs) So, David, you've recently been appointed as the Scheme Actuary for the NDIS. Can you tell us a little bit about what that that is and what that entails? For sure, yeah. Well, look, the the Scheme Actuary um, does does a few things, Julia, the the role. Um, I guess the one that's most visible and most prominent to people is is projecting the cost of the NDIS, Mm. which is, I guess, in a way, the most actuarial part of the role. Um, You know, it's... Similar to the work of a lot of that a lot of actuaries do, but obviously the the organisation uh, that we're that we're talking about, the NDIS, is um it's one that gets a lot of scrutiny. So I guess that that's the that's the part of the role that I guess a lot of people would um get to see at least a little bit of. And David, for our international listeners, can you give us a quick overview of what the NDIS here in Australia does? For sure, yeah. Sorry, probably should have started there. So. The National Disability Insurance Scheme um, has been around for just under 10 years, mm. um, although only has really got to, I suppose, uh, maturity about three or four years ago. Um, so it provides sort of care and supports for Australians with a permanent significant disability, of whom there's around about 600,000 people in the scheme at the moment. Um, mm. That number's growing, um, as, is, as, is, as is well documented. But you know, it was a, it was a um, landmark social reform, I would describe it as, the previous uh, Rudd and Gillard governments implemented, um, you know, in response to, you know, I guess a recognition that people with disability were just, that they were suffering from inequality, they were being underserved. So, it, you know, it, it was a, a, a huge social res- reform, often described as the biggest social reform since Medicare. I think you can even make an argument it's a mm. bigger social reform than Medicare in some mm. ways. But, um, that, that, you know, but that, that does its best to give people with disability, help them achieve better outcomes, live better lives, and yeah, and, and and reduce some of that inequality that so many of them have um, systemically experienced. 
Yeah, yeah. So as taxpayers, we all make a contribution to the NDIS and then the government uses that in the same way it does for Medicare to fund services and supports for people with a disability with a, and you said a long-term persistent disability. So um, throughout That's their correct. lifetime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not, not all of our participants are in the scheme for their whole lives, but um, a, a, a vast, a, a great majority of them are. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So what an important role you have then as the scheme actuary, but it sounds like you have, you know, also a lot of scrutiny and a lot of questions and, um, you know, people want to know answers because it's such a political and widespread and new initiative, I suppose, but um, with different perspectives on that and how, how that should be running and operating. That's that's exactly right. Look, I think it's fair to say, Julia, it's one of the most scrutinised government programs. That's for a very legitimate and, and really good reason, which is mm. that um, the NDIS touches the lives of our participants probably in a lot of ways more than any other government, you know, more than any other government program. So our participants interact with the NDIS and benefit from the NDIS, I suppose, more deeply or more broadly across their lives than is the case with other government programs. Mm. And so, so it's sort of as you would reasonably expect, participants you know, they, they care very deeply about the scheme and they care very deeply about the scheme being successful. And I guess that, that's why there is so much reasonable scrutiny on the scheme. Hmm. And so what's it like for you being under that scrutiny, David? I mean, you're an actuary, you know, stereotypically as actuaries where we're not the life of the party and in the, the centre of attention. What's that like for you having a role where you under are under so much scrutiny in that role? The work that we undertake, it, look, it does get scrutiny, but, I, I, you know, that's I wouldn't want to say that, you know, the, the work we and the actuarial team do is, is sort of more important than the actual design of the scheme and the design mm. of, the, of the services that participants receive. I mean, look, it's it's legitimate that, you know, that the cost of the scheme, you know, attracts attention. Um, it, as you touched on, it's a substantial investment that the government and taxpayers make. So it, it's legitimate that that there be, you know, a, a, a scrutiny and examination of that. But, you know, in, in a way, I suppose, that creates um, understanding and, and trust amongst, you know, amongst people with disability and, and obviously their, their representatives and carers so that ultimately it can just, the scheme can continue to be improved in a way that works for them, but, you know, and in a way that is financially sustainable, which obviously is very important to the government and to taxpayers. Mm. Mm. So it's an important role that you and the team have in supporting that important service and the scrutiny that comes with that, as you would expect with a government service. So, David, can you tell us a bit more about your team? You said, the, you know, you've got actuaries in your team. What do they do? And, you know, what, what does your team look like? Sure. Well, look, but, but I mean, in total, the team that we have across actuaries, as well as, I guess, a range of sort of data science, analytics, mm-hmm. Uh, data sort of services professionals is a couple of hundred people or a little wow. bit more. Yeah, yeah. But I guess if big you, team. look, if you think about the size of the scheme, this this year we're going to spend about a little over $35 billion. I would argue that that, that amount of c- capacity and that, that level of capability that we have is certainly justified and appropriate mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. um, amount of investment. As I said, you know, we have 600,000 participants. Every, every mm-hmm. one of them is, is an individual. So, the number of different uh, questions and analyses that we can undertake about our participants um, and around the expenditure, um, there's, 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 there's a very large number of possible analyses and questions. I think, mm-hmm. you know, like it, like any, I suppose, large financial organisation that deals with, with, you know, large amounts of expenditure like that, you need to have an appropriate level of, of understanding and insight into that and, and ability to sort of then, you know, 
use the data that we have in a positive way. But, you know, as I said, there's there's a, a large number of actuaries. I guess a, many of them do what you would consider reasonably traditional actuarial work, which is projecting the cost of the of the scheme or um, look, undertaking at times modelling of scenarios around mm-hmm. around after the scheme, that sort of thing. But then, you know, some of the actuaries are involved in, um, you know, in, in some of the detailed monitoring that we undertake. I guess that's a that's a reasonably typical activity. And and then, you know, look, it's 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 at times uh, working out where we can we can get more value from the data that we hold. We collect a substantial amount of participant reported data about the outcomes that participants achieve and mm-hmm. understanding better those outcomes and what influences those outcomes in terms of the services that that we provide is another really you know great opportunity that we have so it really is um there there is a broad a broad set of opportunities there's a there's a sort of we are lucky i think to have access to data you know an overall you know data asset that um, I, I, th- I would generally say on a global scale is, is really somewhat unique. And so I think the opportunity that we have, which we need to make sure that we, we take very seriously and that we take the appropriate levels of care around the, the how we use the information. But, but as long as we do that, I think the opportunity we have to get insight into what makes a difference for people with disability and then to try to improve the scheme is a pretty unique and incredibly important one. Yeah, Absolutely. So you're, you've, you've got a, a large actuarial team because you need people who can analyse that, that amount of data, the huge amount of data that you're collecting, not just around financial data and costs of things, but also outcomes for people as well. So it sounds like some really interesting work that your actuarial team is getting involved in. But I mean, we, we don't have a, you know, if we think about our actuarial exams, we don't have, you know, government disability reserving or government outcome modelling. I mean, how, how did you find yourself working in this area and and what sort of pathway you know can the have the actuaries who work for you taken to to be working in this space it's fascinating really because i think when i you know started as an actuary julia you know there was like there was life insurance and general insurance and superannuation investments and and it felt like everything fit pretty neatly into one of those under one of those headings but i guess over the sort of well, you know, look, Look, I suppose if you went back even at that point, actuaries did a little bit of work in, you know, what was then probably called, you know, accident compensation or personal in now, now we probably tend to call it sort of injury insurance. There's certainly, I think at that point, you know, there was relatively few actuaries working in, you know, maybe what I would also call social insurance, but probably, you know, over my sort of the early parts of my career, I think that a large number of actuaries got involved in social insurance. Look, I just found myself, I suppose, uh, you know, probably probably 20 to 25, 25 odd years ago when I was working at PwC and just just sort of found myself for various reasons, uh, you know, tending to do work um, on social insurance. When you say social insurance, David, what, what, how would you define that? If people are not familiar with that term, good question. In simple terms, I think it's it's insuring or t- attempting to insure against poor social outcomes. Mm. You know, and so I suppose the where that probably started, as I said, was around or where the term from an actuarial point of view is longest been used. It would be around yeah workers' compensation and, and motor vehicle injury insurance. Obviously, since. The establishment of the NDIS, I, I think it certainly includes that. I, I think in its broader sense, you can think of social insurance as including uh, Medicare, you know, which is a form of social in, in insurance, um, you know, d- 
sort of other government programs, say, for example, job seeking, you know, that you could argue is a form of social insurance. Look, actuaries aren't involved in all of those. Although, you know, increasingly actuaries, actuaries have played a role across a, a wide range of government programs, which I think would meet the meet the definition of social insurance. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Public programs, public services, um, yeah. initiatives and schemes that are put in place to support and prevent or address bad things from happening to the public. Yeah, address. That's right, and and I think maybe the one that where actuaries, you know, add, add add really probably most value is the ones where you tend to have long term recipients. So the NDIS, you know, a, a large proportion of our participants, as I mentioned, will be with this, this the scheme for life, and so taking that sort of lifetime view and the long the longitudinal view of our participants is where I think actuaries really can make a a difference because of the the skills that we bring. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that long-term view, that training that we we have around looking at what happens into the future and scenarios around that as well. Exactly. Okay. So you came to this through sort of working in social insurance, your consulting yep. work at PwC. Yep. Well, what about the actuaries in your team now? How have they found themselves working in this space? How did they get the skills that they needed to do this sort of work? There's a really is a wide variety, you know. And mm. like I said, I think from when, from the point when I started in my career, there wasn't really an opportunity like the NDIS. But no. you know, look, we we actually have you know we have a number of graduates who come in and work with us each year. So some some okay. of our people start their career with us. Um, right. no, we're, we're a, you know, as I said, we employ close to 100 actuaries as well mm-hmm. as the data scientists and, and professionals. So, you know, there's we bring in a decent number of um, graduates each year. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we also have people who've come to us from a range of backgrounds. So, you know, we've got, we do have quite a few people who've started their career in life insurance. And there are some sort of, at least some some similarities between, you know, some of the the work that happens in life insurance and in disability. I mean, disability is a term that's used in life insurance, although usually a different sort of a different specific meaning. But, you know, we have a lot of people who've had various stints in consulting. Um, Some of them have done work that, you know, relates quite closely to to what we do. Some, you know, perhaps say that they've had more of a career in general insurance, uh, for example. But, Look, I, I think a lot of the, you know, the skills that our people have gained, whatever that background is, there's applicability and, you know, and I think the other comment I would just make, you know, and this applies, you know, to myself as, as well as my team, I do, I do think there's a, a very strong sense of purpose that comes mm-hmm. with doing work where you, we really can see that connection to to the participants, you know, in our case, to the sort of people with disability in Australia. And so I think that, you know, whatever path our people have followed to, to sort of end up working with us, there's, there's there's almost always, I think, that strong connection to the uh, to the difference that we hopefully make. You're listening to the We Are Actuaries podcast, brought to you by the Guardian Actuarial Leadership Program. If you're looking for a tailored training program to help you build your communication and leadership skills, registrations are now open. Head over to guardianactuarial.com.au for more information. Amazing. 
So it sounds like you've got quite a diverse range of actuaries who are bringing their transferable skills from a whole range of different sort of professional backgrounds um, and able to come to the NDIA and make a difference. Okay, so given this sort of diversity of role and, you know, the ability to make a difference, you know, working for the NDIS, what's the most interesting part of your role, David? What do you enjoy most about what you're doing there at the NDIS? I love this question because it just gets me, a ch- well, it gives me a chance just to talk about you know what, what I you know what I'm passionate about and I guess the way I'd answer it initially is to say I, I describe my role often as sort of 20 or 30 percent technical and 70 or 80 percent about stakeholders and mm-hmm. about the sort of communication and so a really big part of my role is communicating the work we do to a wide-ranging audience which includes government you know some of the mm-hmm. departments the central agencies but probably you know in in some ways at least more importantly um, involves working a lot with people in the disability sector to help them understand what's happening in the scheme and what we expect to happen in the scheme and why that's happening. And I I enjoy it because I think what you appreciate, what I appreciate having worked in the scheme for a while is just how important it is that people in the disability sector, participants, their families, carers, representative organisations all, you know, understand and have buy-in to the direction of the scheme. And so, for me, being able to play a role in that, I mean, it's by no means just myself that, you know, the whole agency, you know, the senior leadership of the agency, you know, all have a role in that. But to at least be a part of some of those really important conversations we have with people in the disability sector um, and to to really be able to hopefully see them understand where we're at what's happening, what why it's happening, um, and to be able to genuinely, it not just be a one-way sort of flow of information of, of, of us talking to them, but them, you know, genuinely asking us questions and making us think differently and, and probably leading to us doing different analyses and asking different questions. And, you know, I, I think being a part of that really genuine sort of co- the ownership that our participants and, and everyone in the sector has of the scheme, I find it incredibly rewarding. And it's it's probably not something that I guess in, you know, it, it's a bit of a unique, not unique completely, but it's certainly one of the aspects of this role that, that I enjoy. And look, you know, I guess a number of my team um, also have roles that in that too. So the scheme, as I said, it's an incredibly important social reform, but it's something I think what's, what's a big part of that is that it's sort of, it is not done to people with disability, you know, by the government. It mm. is done with people with, with in a very, very genuine, co-designed, um, collaborative way with people mm-hmm. with disability. And wow. it's it's great to be able to be part of that. Fantastic. It's so exciting to see that collaboration actually happening in action, that, you know, it sounds like your role is not just about managing a team of actuaries, it's about managing a team of actuaries and, you know, engaging with a whole lot of stakeholders, not just at a government level, but at a public level too. You're you're facilitating that collaboration and co-design and ensuring that what what you are building is is not just something that's being built in a vacuum, it's actually being built with input from people who need it. And I think that's something that, you know, that's when governments, I mean, you know, I'm getting a little tiny bit political here, but I just think that's when governments work best, you know, mm-hmm. when the people who the who government, you know, are working for and, and, and working, supporting, they have the right, the right voice. I, I couldn't say strongly enough how important that is. Yep. 
Yeah, sounds really important. So, okay, and you said that, you know, your role is maybe 20 to 30% technical and the rest is stakeholder management and, and communication. Since I'm teaching communication to actuaries at the moment, I'd love it if you could share maybe a tip or a strategy or like something that you would like to share with listeners around um, building communication skills. How, how did you get to the point where you were able to have this communication skills to do the kind of work that you're doing? Well, look, you know, I, I think the one thing I would certainly say, there's a great quote from George Bernard Shaw, I might not get it exactly right, but it's like the biggest mistake with communication is thinking it's ever done, um, you know, mm. something along those lines. Mm. I think I think it's recognising in any role where you're sort of dealing a lot with people that, you know, it, it, it's it's something that you don't just do once, you know, it's, it's, it's ongoing. If I reflect on my career and think about my communications journey, I do think that mm, myself, and this is probably the case for not all, but, you know, a, a reasonable number of actuaries, I think our training is often about, you know, it's about really making sure that we've got, we we have a lot of detail, we understand a lot of detail. And I think what then goes with that often is we have a, a an inclination or a, an instinct towards demonstrating that detail in, in verbal communication. And, and I think there's times when that's completely appropriate in, and, you know, for certain audiences, but you know, for, for the sort of audiences that I've, I've touched on, you know, for people, you know, the people who aren't actuaries by background, I think there is just a less is more sort of overall mantra I try to hold to, um, sometimes more successfully than others. But, but you know, the reality is that with a scheme this large, you know, with, with this amount of this much data, this many participants, that much expenditure, there's you know, there's always so many different ways you can look at the data, so many ways you can cut it. You're never going to be able to communicate all of that in a way, you know, that, that's comprehensive. So you need to sort of accept that you need to kind of communicate a certain level and, and then just sort of essentially that and, and allow people to go on their own journey with yeah. the information. It's something that, as I said, I feel I've been very lucky in my career with the sort of some of the roles I've had to really be able to learn from some really great communicators and reflect on my own journey. But it's, again, it's something that I think you never stop learning. And I would really encourage all actuaries to just sort of, you know, to, to, to take that, you know, in a, in a really positive and genuine way and just and just reflect on the fact that there, there is always that opportunity. Yeah, great advice to keep learning and less is more. I love that. We've talked a lot about your, your role, the NDIS, the NDIA and your team of actuaries and how you've all gotten there. We've talked about what you love about it. Is there anything that you find challenging or difficult that you'd like to share? Oh, look, I mean, I, I think that it's a sort of, in a sense, that deep passion, the, the deep level of interest that so many stakeholders have in the scheme, just the, the size of the scheme, the scale of it. What it means is that there is an immense hunger and demand for information, you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and there's, there's, there's so many questions that, that so many different people can have. And, and I think being able to manage all of that demand and to, to be able to meet people, as many people, you know, the needs of as many stakeholders as possible. Even though we have a large team, it is not unlimited. So, so I just think managing the sort of the volume of of, of, of sort of, of of the appetite that exists both within our agency. I mean, the National Disability Insurance Agency has got a, w- a workforce of twelve or thirteen thousand people. So wow. there's plenty of demand from within the agency, but then from outside the agency as well. The challenge, I suppose. I mean, I suppose it's just, there's a prioritisation challenge about what's yeah. most important, but. But, but, you know, within that, as I said, ma- maintaining trust, making sure that stakeholders just understand that even if we can't get to their request now, you know, that it doesn't mean it's not important. That whole challenge is one, you know, we can never, you know, we can never meet everyone's needs perfectly, but we just need to keep trying to do our best. Yeah. 
And I guess it's that double-edged sword when you've got work that's so important and so meaningful because you you do feel invested. You do feel like you want to answer those questions and everyone has a valid question that they're asking as well. But how do you prioritise those requests and triage those requests and, and still sort of make sure that you're getting the, the most value with what you've got? And just sort of, you know, make sure that I'm looking after my amazing people really well mm-hmm. because, they, they're as I said, they're so passionate. They all want to do a great job. But the risk of that level of demand we have is that there's a risk that, uh, you know, that, that our people, you know, we, we just, we push them too hard. And yeah. so, you know, really trying to make sure that we're sort of balancing all of those, um, you know, ba- balance the need to keep our stakeholders happy and, 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 and being able to do what we can to support them, but also to, to make sure that the team's being well looked after, um, you know, which, which I mean, as I said, it's, it's challenging, but it, it's incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Yeah. So to wrap up, David, I just want to ask you for anyone listening who's thinking about maybe considering a career in social services or, you know, maybe even working with your team at the NDIA, what's one tip that you would give them um, if they're thinking about making that move? Thank you, Julia. Look, yeah, I think just, I mean, it's kind of in a way, it, it might sound a little trite, it's the same for any job, but I, I think just having a, a keen interest and make, just doing at least a little bit of research into the NDIS, I mean, there is an immense amount of information out there about us, so, so it's not that hard to do, although in a way that immense amount of information can be a bit overwhelming. So as I touched on, I don't feel that from a sort of a technical point of view, the skills that you need in working for us or elsewhere in, in social services are, are, are particularly unique. I mean, there's a few things that, you know, are a little different, but not 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 in such a way that sort of our, most actuaries, I think, or, you know, virtually all actuaries couldn't make the transition relatively easily. So mm-hmm. a lot of it really, I just think it comes down to the subject matter itself and, and, and just that sort of having a curiosity around it, which, you know, I, I observe so many actuaries do. I think it's fair to say that, as I said, in my over my career, the role that actuaries have played, you know, whether it be for the NDIS or in other social services sort of examples, use cases, whatever you want to say. I mean, it's 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 evolved a lot. It's grown a lot, you know, and who knows in, in sort of 10 to 15 to 20 years time what it will look like. So it's kind of general career advice in a way, but, you know, I think it is still helpful just to sort of, we always love people who really have a passion for, for what we do and, and have a sort of at least a little bit of an understanding of it. So I just, I do encourage people just do that bit of research i'd encourage actuaries out there particularly those in the early stages of their career just to just to really recognize the range of opportunities that now exist which i, I do think is wonderful you know we, we are one really good one there, there's a lot of other great ones out there too yeah that's great so regardless of our technical background or professional background if we've got an interest and a passion in the space and we can spend the time learning the domain knowledge then there's an opportunity to create a path for ourselves into this sort of work as well so that's really great advice David thank you so much for your time today I'm sure your advice will really resonate with so many of our listeners thank you Julia love lovely to be able to talk to you really appreciate it and hi to all of your audience <laughs> thanks David So there you have it, real-life stories and practical tips from a leader using their actuarial superpowers to make a difference in the world. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to get in touch, subscribe, leave us a review and share it with your network. You'll find details from today's interview in the show notes below and on our website www.guardianactuarial.com.au. Until next time. (laughs) 